Thank you, Yoni. So today I'm back at the Evel Jewelry Factory. I've done an interview here before with the owner, Itzik Levy, but today's interview is totally different, and I'm really, really excited to introduce you all to Daniel Sahalo. Hi, Daniel. Hello. So Daniel's got an incredible story to tell. I've just been sitting with him for a while, like work, just hearing his story to decide what I can share with you on the radio today. Um, Daniel is the... He's, he's the... What's your title of the... He is the U.S. sales manager, but he's actually in charge of running the promoting the Meja Maria department of the Evel Jewelry Factory, which is a special department devoted to Ethiopian jewelry, where they train um, Ethiopian immigrants in jewelry design. They usually come in with no background whatsoever, and they train them how to make full training, beautiful jewelry. But Daniel has his own story of coming to Israel on Operation Moses. So I want to ask him a couple of questions, but I'm only going to let him tell you little little pieces because you've got to come for yourself on a tour of Ivel and hear him speak. Um, and he also travels around the world to speak at different Jewish communities. So let's start, I guess, at the beginning. Tell us what Operation Moses was and when it happened. Operation Moses was the first exodus of Ethiopian Jews in the 80s. Uh, and it started around... 81 with a secret operation of the Mossad. The cover was diving village of one of the shores of Sudan. And with the help of the Israeli Navy SEALs, the Shayete, they rescued 3,500 Ethiopian Jews between 81 and 83. One of my brothers came on that operation. And 84 and 85 was the airlifting with the Hercules, the planes out of Sudan. And that's the one I came. And how old were you at the time? Five. Incredible. And what was it like? First of all, I guess, what was the process like getting to that plane? Because that was not like you just drove to the airport and got on an airplane. I wish. Uh, no, uh, there was just a rumor that we need to get to Sudan and from there we'll get our help. So my parents sold anything they could just to have enough money to the guide who led us to the borders of the country, Sudan and Ethiopia, and crossing the Sudanese desert. I'm talking about more than eight weeks of walking barefoot, uh, mostly at night during the day we were hiding in caves and valleys between the mountains because it wasn't legal to leave the country at that time. It was a civil war uh, and a communist influence, that means the border were locked. So we had to escape and along the journey we had to deal uh, with the lack of water, food, the obstacle of the road. Uh, but once again, the biggest problem was getting sick and this way we lost more than 4,000 people on the way to Sudan, and that's a big number. So I said to Daniel, did you have any doctors walking with you? And he laughed and said they didn't even have any medicine with them. That's right. People died from scratch. And uh, I personally lost my sister. She was in her 20s. She got sick of malaria. And a few days later when she died, the only thing my parents could do was to bury her and keep going. But that was the price of making Aliyah 30 years ago. So I think actually, let's go back even further than that. Did you know, at what age did you know or did your community know that Jerusalem existed and that Israel was a state for the Jewish people? Uh, the first real connection with the Ethiopian uh, Jews was in the 60s. Uh, and that's how they found the Falasha. That's the term that some people know, and it means a stranger with no land. That's how they called the Jews in Ethiopia. And, uh, and in the 60s, when people realized that Israel exists, uh, younger people able to do the journey, walk from Ethiopia, crossing Sudan and Egypt, and those who 
survive, got educated in a famous boarding school called Farbatia in Ra'anana, city next to Tel Aviv, learned the modern Hebrew, and with the help of the Mossad and the Jewish agency people, they went back to Ethiopia and started to prepare the community to do the Aliyah. Now, you also were saying that for you, it was about coming to Jerusalem, not Israel, right? That's right. What we passed from one generation to the next was Shana Babi Wushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. So we didn't know anything about the state of Israel, the modern life, and we didn't even care. What we wanted is to go to the Jerusalem of gold, Yerushalayim Shazahav. And what type of life did you have back in Ethiopia, religiously? How would you describe it? Uh, I would say, first of all, that 99.9 of the Ethiopian Jews uh, were in today's terms, orthodox. They kept everything. There was no Ethiopian uh, reformed Jew. (laughs) Uh, And uh, basically our life were uh, according to the temple times. I mean, uh, Bible. Uh, We didn't celebrate certain holidays like Purim or Hanukkah. We didn't know about those holidays. So I guess we're saving calories. (laughs) (laughs) But the first, uh, like I said, uh, when we arrived to Israel, uh, the only, let's say, dilemma was either to go to Mizrach or Ashkenaz. And most of us, I mean, uh, it was more natural. I mean, I went to Moroccan synagogue. I mean, so they have a similar culture and stuff like that. But... uh, it was totally a shock coming to Israel from the way we practice our Judaism and the way we do it today in Israel. So we were talking before also about like there was a cultural shock and a religious shock. So culturally, what was the biggest difference? Uh, first of all, in traditional society like in Ethiopia, in our village, uh, who, I mean, the person who controlled the community and everything was most of the time the men's. It's not just the men, the elderly. And when we moved to Israel, uh, in a modern life, the focus went to the kids and the females. So that was uh, a shock to our natural, let's say, uh, infrastructure mm-hmm. of the community. Uh, so that's why there were some problems. But uh, if it was uh, domestic violence between man and wife, but uh, I, it wasn't something, you know... Uh, who didn't make any sense. It's something that happened to every immigration before the Ethiopians, if it was the Yemenites, the Moroccans, uh, Kurds, uh, every community who came from the same background uh, had the same shock. The only difference that we came in the 80s, so the media and the newspapers was a lot more developed. So things were written about in the papers. And talk a little bit, I think you were telling me some stories about your time in the Army and how you view the Army as a real melting pot. Uh, In my eyes, even today, 2018, uh, the IDF can be the best melting pot to the Israeli society. And I'm going to start with you. Today we have a lot of lone soldiers from the States who visit Israel for the first time with birthright and those kind of programs. And they fall in love with what's going on here. And uh, they come and serve in the army. And when they serve in the army, uh, they're getting their passport to the Israeli society. Beside of the fact they're going to learn the best Hebrew and get really, I mean, have really good friends, uh, they will be part of the Israeli society because when you 
if you know Israelis, one of the first questions when you meet is like, where did you serve? Because it's part of our life. I mean, Tzva Ha'am, people's army, it's part of our life here. Everybody serve. And, uh, and when it comes to me, uh, I wanted to give back to a country who gave me so much. So I volunteered to the Paratroopers Brigade. 101st. Uh, I was a sniper and a patrol unit and then went to Officers Academy and finished my service as a captain. And when I was in the army, uh, when you line down in ambush, nobody really cares what your color is, what your uh, religious is, or where you're from in Israel. Uh, the only thing you have in common is to take care of each other and your family back home. And that's what we did. Uh, that's why I think that uh, in for the next generation of my community, for example, to take advantage of this amazing part or point in their life to uh, do and take care of their future because uh, you can do a lot from the Army for the future. And if someone were to meet you today and say, you know, meet you on the street and say, Daniel, where are you from? Who are you? How would you define yourself? Uh, me personally? I'm Israeli and then Ethiopian, but if you're going to see me in the street, you're going to think I'm Ethiopian. But uh, it's like this song, I think, I, I dream uh, in Hebrew. So Beautiful. And what about, like, some of, tell us a little bit about Medjur Maria and the, the type of art and jewelry that they create and how it represents your Ethiopian culture. So when it comes to the students, uh, first of all, I have to uh, uh, mention the fact that it's a program that originally was open for single moms uh, uh, around Jerusalem, Ethiopians, obviously, and uh, it was a huge change in their life. Instead of going from one office to the other and you know collecting trash and stuff like that, now they're creating art. And I would say that there's three groups the ladies who are connected to the Ethiopian uh, background and our history. So you're going to see words in Amharic, the Ethiopian language, like love, friendship, hope. And don't worry, the meaning will be in the back in English. We don't expect people <laughs> to read Amharic. And the second group is going to be the religious, uh, uh, different prayers from Judaism, like, Oh God, hear Israel, Women of Valor, and other stuff that I really like. And the third group is going to be just artists. Uh, for example, uh, one of my favorite, a student who made a crooked heart because he said love is not perfect. Or the student who made birds because we knew that birds are migrating and at some point getting to Israel. So we used to ask them, how's Jerusalem? So, uh, and the last thing I wanted to say that their uh, work is basically from silver and gold plated because we had to keep it affordable and uh, And it's amazing when people come over and see what we're doing here So when you come to the Evel jewelry factory you take a tour which um, gives you a little bit of background about the levies and how they started the company But then you also hear about this group of students um, the Ethiopians who are creating these beautiful pieces of art and then you actually can get to see them and meet them as they're doing their work um, and Daniel's very often he's here too so when you send if you send an email to evel y-v-e-l at funinjerusalem.com to set up a tour you can specifically say I really want to meet Daniel and I totally recommend it but um, even better than that he f flies all over the world to tell his story he's got a, an amazing presentation which he showed me and when you see you know especially you see the plane that brought him to Israel and then you see him as an as a paratrooper right next to the same plane like there's just it's incredible goosebumps we both have goosebumps but um, 
So I, I highly recommend to bring Daniel out also because I think one of the th- biggest lessons I learned today from speaking to you is I was young. I was a young girl in elementary school when Operation Moses happened. I even remember making a project where we made the mud tents. What do you call those mud tents? Too cool. Mud hat. Too cool. And then I remember being a teenager on a Shabbaton in New York. I can't remember the name of the organization, but I was there with a whole bunch of high school students. And Saturday night, they sat us down and they said, this is going on right now. It was Operation Solomon. And like we all just sat there mesmerized by the TV watching these Ethiopians enter Israel. And what Daniel's message is, yes, you, you, know, you should support the Ethiopian community, but Look and see how much we have accomplished in the last few years and look at how much, you know, you meet these jewelers from Medjur Maria and you see what they've done. It's not just about supporting new immigrants. Like, they're in a new stage right now. And The highest form of giving in a Jewish world is teaching someone a trade and he will take care of himself. Instead of giving the fish, teach him how to fish. And that's what we're doing here. And these ladies are a lot more proud today. And me personally going to the different communities around the States and not looking for donations or anything like that, just to tell a positive story gathered with the Ethiopian community in Israel, I'm very happy. Because overall, I think the Ethiopian community has a great life in Israel. On every negative story you're going to have in the media, I can give you 100 positive ones. So uh, please... Look on the full half cup. <laughs> All right. And send an email to Evel at funinjerusalem.com if you want to contact Daniel. Um, I don't know if he has any political aspirations, but one day you never know if he'll represent Israel um, to the world. Um, he's incredible. Like, really, this interview has been one of my favorites that I've given so far. So um, now back to you, Yoni.